Thank you to everybody uh, for joining us today on a very important conversation on gun violence prevention. We're gonna hear from a number of speakers. We're gonna start with Dr. Austin, who's a director of Connectional and Justice Ministries for the Florida Conference. Dr. Austin, it's good to see you. We're also you. gonna hear from Brian Miller. He is the executive director of Heating God's Call to End Gun Violence, which is a faith-based and grassroots movement to prevent gun violence. We're also gonna hear from two ambassadors from Giffords Gun Owners for Safety, Mary Beth Christensen and Stacy Wesch. We're gonna hear from Susan Gill. She's a retired school teacher who is now an active member at St. Paul's United Methodist Church in Tallahassee and a volunteer for Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America. And we're gonna hear from Patty Brigham and she is the president of Prevent Gun Violence Florida. And she also founded the former Florida Coalition to Prevent Gun Violence. So we have some very experienced, some very wise and some very passionate speakers with us here today. And we're very excited to start with Dr. Austin. Dr. Sharon Austin, uh, we wanna start with her because she's our fearless leader and she is the one who had the vision for this initiative. It was her heart to coordinate this workshop and Friday's dinner. And so we, we wanna hear from her in terms of her heart, why this is so important and why gun violence prevention is something that every church needs to be talking about. So Dr. Austin, thank you so much for joining us today and the floor is yours. Thank you so much, uh, Reverend Lopez. Uh, I wanna welcome all of you on behalf of our Bishop, Bishop Tom Berlin uh, and the members of the Florida Annual Conference. And while uh, Irwin uh, depicted me as the fearless leader, uh, those of you in leadership know that what that usually means is you do as you're told by the folks who really do have the passion and, and the knowledge and the, uh, um, and the energy. And so I'm grateful to be a part of this conversation and I join you in this work. One of the reasons this uh, collaboration is so important uh, is because the faith community uh, sometimes leads and sometimes is a very distant follower when it comes to having voice and action in the places where it is desperately needed. Uh, we welcome all of you who uh, have come as the experts and Erwin appropriately described you because we know that uh, our opportunities to partner with you uh, reflect an opportunity to partner with folks who really pour their heart and soul uh, and life into this work every day. And so many of you uh, are doing this work as volunteers and we hope we will have more people of faith who will see an opportunity or create an opportunity to join you in this work. Others of you are doing this professionally. In other words, this is your employment. This is what you may do full time. And you're speaking and you're traveling and you're writing and uh, just trying to help folks understand uh, how to find their place in this very challenging conversation. Earlier today, we uh, had a workshop on the social principles of the United Methodist Church. Uh, it is the church's attempt to be engaged in uh, the work in so many areas of society, uh, reflecting God's relationship with us and our relationship with our neighbor. Uh, our concerns and necessary concerted efforts around gun violence prevention uh, reflect another way in which we are called to live peaceably with our neighbors. 
Uh, there are per persons on this call, many of whom are United Methodists, who may not be aware that in our 2016 book of resolutions, resolution number 3428.7, we find these words uh, among the things that United Methodist churches should do or could do for United Methodist congregations to display signs that prohibit carrying guns onto church property. That's important for our conversation about gun violence prevention, because so often we find that the conversation about gun violence prevention is often reduced and misunderstood as a conversation that is anti-gun. We, we all have a, a wide variety of opinions on how we feel about gun or gun ownership, but that's not this conversation. It is intended instead to be gun violence prevention. It is not an anti-Second Amendment conversation. So we don't want to find ourselves uh, stuck in a place that really prevents us from beginning well. So we welcome you. We welcome those who have joined us on the Zoom. Look forward to listening, learning, and then really stepping up and being God's people in all of the ways that we can on this very crucial topic. We want to keep praying for victims of gun violence, but we want fewer victims and prayer that translates into action. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Austin, for that reminder that this is not an anti-gun conversation. Right? This is a gun violence prevention conversation. And I think that's a perfect gateway for our next speaker. We're going to go ahead and move um, to have a conversation with two ambassadors from Giffords Gun Owners for Safety. We have two representatives from their um, organization, Mary Beth Christensen and Stacy Wesh. Mary Beth, uh, we're gonna start with you. If you would go ahead and share um, about Giffords Gun Owners for Safety. Mary Beth, are you here with us? There you are. We're just gonna ask you to unmute. Unmuted, and there I will say hello again to everyone. Thanks for having me, and thanks for joining the call. And thank yeah. you, Reverend Austin, for that wonderful opening. Um, you, you spoke to the heart, and, and I appreciate that. Um, I am a transplant to Florida within the last year from Pennsylvania, and um, I've been a full-time volunteer gun violence prevention advocate for well over a decade. Um, and in that capacity, I did work with Brian Miller and Heating's God Call, um, quite a bit in the Philadelphia area, along with um, Philadelphia Black clergy and other faith leaders in that area. Um, I'm the former state chapter lead of Moms Demand Action and I for Pennsylvania, and I remain on the board of Ceasefire Pennsylvania. I'm vice president of the board in, in Philadelphia. I'm also on the board of Divas Ministries, um, which is part of Philadelphia Black clergy. Um, so my heart remains in Philadelphia, but I'm anxious to get started to, um, you know, move the freight on gun violence prevention here in Florida. My experience in gun violence prevention work as a volunteer is really not as important as why I got into the movement in the first place. Um, like you, I felt compelled. I felt that I had a moral duty to respond to the ever-increasing gun violence in our community. And my spouse is an avid hunter. He's an avid sportsman and our now adult children were raised with guns and they know how to handle them and store them and respect them. And 
our personal experience as a family is as responsible gun owners and caring for each other. And my experience with my family and, and colleagues in the gun violence movement and, and colleagues at our gun club were to a number um, all responsible gun owners and all respond all support responsible laws that would prevent gun violence. Um, such as if you can't pass a criminal background check, you probably shouldn't be walking around with a gun. Or if um, you have a firearm, you should secure it safely by making it unloaded, locked, and kept separate from your ammo. Or if your gun gets stolen, you should report it to the police so they can trace the gun and, and prevent it from being used in other crimes. So these are simple measures that reduce gun violence that uh, most gun owners support. And my personal experience um, in this field really tracks the national data, which is the majority of gun owners support reasonable laws that can prevent gun violence. But sadly, our voices have not been represented. Um, we've been the silent majority and the uh, powerful gun lobby and the powerful politicians that they fund um, are presenting this opposing view that guns should be everywhere and without restriction. So Gabby Giffords following her assassination attempt um, decided to stop that. And she joined other wonderful organizations like Every Town for Gun Safety and um, the Jim Brady organization to give voice to the majority of gun owners. And Giffords makes clear that the gun industry does not speak for gun owners. Um, the gun industry and uh, the NRA does not represent the majority of us. We organize gun owners to take back our narrative on our gun rights and our responsibilities. We educate the public on what makes us safe and what does not. And importantly, we work with affinity groups to pass responsible gun safety laws. So we at Giffords, but me personally, I really applaud um, the Methodist Conference for um, taking, a, taking on a commitment to this issue. It's a difficult issue. And I invite everyone on this call today to um, engage in the work. Um, faith leaders and their communities are vital constituents in this battle. Um, you're credible messengers and we need you. Gun owners um, don't get dismissed out of hand because we're gun owners and we have the interest in keeping our guns. Faith leaders in their community are important because of the, um, the message we have to take care of each other. Um, how can you be pro-life and other things if you're not going to protect each other? So thank you for joining. Um, there's so many good affinity groups involved in this work. There's veterans organizations involved, um, pro-athlete organizations. I know Steve Kerr of the Golden State Warriors working with Brady. Um, healthcare providers are jumping into this. And I know Susan will be happy to hear that we have a lot of teachers organizations uh, coming into the fight. So if we all join together, and find you know the common ground and move this issue forward, things will change. It, it often seems that with the relentless surge of gun violence that nothing can change, but it can change. It just takes um, the people who've been quiet before to step off the sidelines and speak up. So with that, I'm going to um, turn this over to my colleague, Stacy West, and uh, she's gonna talk about her personal experience with gun violence and the need for safe storage. 
Hey there. Um, my name is Stacy Wesch, and uh, like Mary Beth, I am an ambassador for Gun Owners for Safety. And um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about how and why I got involved in gun violence prevention. On February 14th, I received a call from my daughter in 2018, and she was a student at Marshall and Douglas High School. She told me that she was hiding in her algebra classroom closet because they shoot her on campus. Um, she did there for nearly two and a half hours uh, that day fearing for her life. And I was lucky enough to have her come home to me that day. Uh, I have friends that were not so blessed. 17 of her classmates and you know teachers were killed in that massacre and another 17 were injured. Um, and I tell you my story so that you could understand a little bit about why I'm so passionate about gun ownership, uh, safe gun ownership. According to the Secret Service, 76% of school shooters acquired their guns from home of a parent that was and in that home, that gun was not securely stored. Here's another interesting fact. 73% of children under the age of 10 and living in homes with firearms reported knowing the exact location of their parents' firearms. And 36% of those children reported handling their parents' secured, unsecured firearms without their parents knowing. Um, children are not the only ones at risk. Having unsecured weapons in your home also increases the risk of youth suicide and the suicide of adults battling depression and veterans with PTSD and many others. More than 6,500 veterans die by suicide every single year. Um, in 2020, 71% of veteran suicides had involved firearms, and that was the highest percentage on record so far. Um, when someone attempts suicide, it's often a very impulsive decision brought on by acute mental distress. So um, many people who attempt suicide try to reverse the suicide attempt right afterwards and seek help. And 70% of those those people um, will survive a suicide attempt and not do it again. But individuals who use guns to attempt suicide are far less likely to survive. Um, so households that locked up their firearms and ammunition were associated with 78% lower risk of self-inflicted firearm injuries and an 85% lower risk of unintentional firearm injuries among children and teens compared to those that locked neither one. Um, and lastly, safely storing your firearm helps prevent it um, from getting stolen. More than 1 million guns were reported stolen from private citizens between 2017 and 2021. Now, mind you, that does not include um, the stolen guns that people did not report because federal law does not require individual gun owners to report the loss of their firearms to police. 
Uh, and while local laws may vary, it also isn't a requirement in many states to report a stolen gun. So the number of gun thefts is probably much higher than what's being reported. And um, I'm gonna pass it back to Mary Beth for a second so she can explain to you about some of the laws. You're on mute, Mary Beth. <laughs> Thank you, Stacey. Um, just very quickly, I'll, I'll talk about the laws. Um, this won't be too deep a dive. I bore myself when I, when I go too deep into this. But generally, um, what, what do we mean when we talk about safe storage? Um, what, what we mean generally is a gun should be loaded, um, uh, unloaded first. It should be locked and it should be stored separately from your ammunition. Okay, so how, how do we do that? We use locks. We can use a cable lock, a trigger lock, a biometric lock. You can use a gun case, a gun cabinet, uh, a safe. You can use a strong box. I mean, in our house, I don't know where the ammunition is because my husband keeps it off site, but we have our gun uh, with a cable lock in a gun case um, that can only be accessed by his thumbprint. So we're, we're all about the safety here. Um, how do you raise safe storage in conversation with your colleagues? Um, think of it as any other safety issue. I'm gonna send my daughter or granddaughter over for a play date. Um, do you have dogs in the house? She doesn't have allergies to dogs, but she's afraid of dogs or she doesn't have a peanut aller allergy, but do you have any guns in the house? And if so, how do you secure them? Uh, just very um, normalize the issue. Don't let people feel defensive because you're just, you're just lumping it in with any other safety issue. Now I'll talk about the specific laws. Um, firearms are governed by both state and federal laws. So in some cases you get double layers of coverage in certain areas of regulations. And then in other areas, there's complete gaps. Um, neither state or federal law address the area. So as far as safe, as far as safe storage under the federal laws, we know we have the Second Amendment to the United States Constitution that does provide gun owner rights, but it doesn't have anything to do with how you would store your firearms. There's no federal safe storage law. They leave it to the states to decide whether to have a law at all. Some do, some don't. We're not even at half the states having safe storage laws. Florida does not have one. Um, federal law does require a federally licensed dealer uh, when they sell a gun to provide a safety lock, but it doesn't require the buyer to even use the device. <laughs> there's, no, there's no requirement that the buyer store the gun in a certain way. So a lot of gaps in the federal law. Now, as far as Florida law, gun rights are governed. There is a separate provision of the Florida state constitution, which provides a right to keep and bear arms but it does not, you know, again, address uh, how you would secure those weapons or, or firearms, I should say. We do have a statute in Florida, which says a loaded firearm in the home must be stored in a locked box container or secured with a trigger lock. If the owner reasonably knows that a child under the age of 16 can gain access to the firearm without the permission of the parent or guardian and without supervision. Supervision. So let's break down what we have here. 
Um, the, fly, the firearm statute in Florida does not require that the gun be stored unloaded. In fact, it says a loaded firearm shall be stored. So there's the first big thing of, of safe storage. We don't even require that it be loaded. We that it's going to be loaded. Um, Florida statute does not require unattended firearms to be stored separately from the ammunition. Um, and further, this is a, um, a statute designed to protect children. It's a, it's a child access prevention statute. It says you've got to secure it if you think a child can access it. This is not just a general safe storage law. It's if you think there's a child available that could access this law, if you reasonably believe that, then you must do X, Y, and Z. And even there, the, the statute's a little weak because it says that um, it, doesn't, it doesn't cover all children under the age of majority. It only addresses children 16 years and younger. So a 17 or 18 year old who's living in your home, hasn't reached the age of majority, who accesses that firearm, there'd be no liability for you because they're not covered by the statute. Um, further, the statute imposes criminal liability only if the child takes the firearm to a public place or if he uses the gun in a rude, careless, angry, or threatening manner. Doesn't address suicide at all. So if you don't secure your weapon and a child accesses it and uh, harms themselves, there's no liability on it. So Florida would be safer if we had a statute that just simply required that guns be stored unloaded locked and away from the ammunition. And that's what we would hope to get on the books here at some point. So I thank you for your, um, your, your time learning this and we really look forward um, to working with you. Um, I, I just wanna say one thing in closing, I, our governor in Pennsylvania was very active uh, before he was elected in the gun violence prevention movement and very active in the Jewish community. And he, he used to say all the time uh, the Torah doesn't require us to finish the task, but it does require us to take up the work. And I always think of that when I'm involved. This is long, exhausting work, and I thank you for considering taking it up. So take it back to Reverend Lopez. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Mary Beth, and thank, thank you so much, Stacy. You know, I love this simple and important call to action um, to have a conversation about gun safety. And it can be as simple as that. And as a pastor serving in a congregation of college students and thinking about my pastoral friends in the conference, you know, we, I often think about the question, what can we do? And it could be just as simple starting a conversation on gun safety. That's what we can do with our faith-based communities. And here to talk more about how we can engage our faith-based communities, we have Brian Miller. Brian Miller is the executive director of Heeding God's Call to End Gun Violence, which is a grassroots movement to help faith-based um, organizations prevent gun violence. So Brian, thank you so much for joining us today. If you would unmute and share a little bit more about your work and how people on this call can get engaged. Sure. All righty, I think I'm unmuted now. Do you hear me? It works, okay. Sorry I'm late, by the way. Uh, well, long story. Anyhow, I'm thrilled to be here today. And uh, I just want to say a couple of things to start. Um, I as well am a survivor of gun violence and uh, have reasons uh, to, to be so concerned about it and to work on it. And I've been working on it for about 25 years and 
very successful as the head of a secular group in New Jersey for about 15 years. And for the last uh, 13 or 14 here in Pennsylvania, heading up uh, a faith-based and grassroots organization. And I'm not gonna talk very much about specific legislation. There's plenty that needs to be done, whether it's safe storage, storage whether it's um, uh, um, ERPO, the extremist protection orders, whether it's one handgun a month, whether it's, there are just dozens of things that need to be done. And what I wanna talk about is how to get there, if you will. And I'm sorry to say that over the 30 years or so that, that, that I've known about this, this issue, other than in a few states, and New Jersey is one of them, uh, there's been very little accomplished to, to move the, the, the marker forward. In Pennsylvania, it looks like some things are happening, and that's a, that's a good thing, but there's still major uh, roadblocks before any uh, good laws are, are going to be enacted in PA. What we do at Heating God's Call is very different from any other gun violence prevention group that I know of, and I've been doing this for a long time, as I said, we are directed at energizing and organizing the faith community and faith communities to get deeply involved in gun violence prevention. And in fact, our full name is Heating God's Call to End Gun Violence, because we believe as a faith-based organization, and not very political or whatever, that we need to talk about reaching God's peaceful kingdom and not be willing to say, okay, we're okay with the short stuff and, uh, and so on. So the way that we, what we seek to do is do, we do every day we do outreach to faith communities, whether they're churches, synagogues, mosques, Baha'i temples, whatever, and to their regional organizations like Presbyteries, United Methodist Conferences, Episcopal Diocese, and so on and so forth. And we do this outreach to, uh, to get them to get deeply involved, meaning to work together with other people of faith, of their faith and other faiths, because we are an interfaith organization. And the way we do it is by, we've developed a series of uh, activities and, and messages that are all positive. We don't get into the, he said, he said about with the NRA or the other gun lobby organizations because we believe that that in fact turns off many people of faith so that they don't come in the door and work and take uh, responsibility for gun violence. And what we want is we want the door to be open and we want to welcome these people in to work with us and with other people of faith in moving an agenda forward to, to bring about change and to end gun violence. And we do it in a couple of different ways. And I'm gonna see if I can can bring this up. I'm not sure I can. Let's see, share screen. Maybe. Okay. Ah, there we are. What do you know? This is uh, an event that is coming up in two weeks' time in Lancaster, in, Pencil in Pennsylvania, in central Pennsylvania. Lancaster is a very interesting community. It's, uh, it's the city of about 70,000 is in the middle of a, city, of a county that uh, many people know as Pennsylvania Dutch country. Uh, the county itself is very conservative, but the city is very uh, progressive. Anyhow, 
On the 17th, we're working with a very progressive church, Grandview uh, Church in, in Lancaster, and we will have what we call Gun Violence Awareness Day. We do these Gun Violence Awareness Days all the time. We just had one 10 days ago. We drew in a, in a relatively small city, over 275 people who came to pray, sing together, to walk through the streets of the town with signs, praying and singing in the Abrahamic faith, and to hear about what they could do, what these people could do to end gun violence. Our Gun Violence Awareness Days, which you see there is a, a t-shirt memorial. That is what we call our Memorial to the Lost. It's very locally based. This one would, this one in Lancaster will be the, the, the shirts. Each shirt has the name, age, and date of death of someone, in this case, that was murdered with a gun. And uh, so we get information from coroners or police departments and put these memorials together. They look simple and they are. They're easy to put up and take down. But, and the first time we did one, it was just gonna be a one-off, but it, it, it gained so much attention, both from people who then reached out to us and said, we saw your memorial at, the in this case, it was Chestnut Hill Presbyterian Church. We'd like it for our church or our synagogue or a mosque. So because of the way they're made with plumbing, regular plumbing equipment, um, they're portable. They're easily taken apart. So uh, we, the first one, two weeks after it was there, we had it moved on to a Baptist church in a different part of Philadelphia and so on. So they're so popular that we now have nine of them across the state of Pennsylvania, whether it's the counties in the east, each county has its own memorial and this two central counties. Uh, Allegheny County and where Pittsburgh is and the Lehigh Valley. All of them are in constant motion because once it goes, the memorial goes up, without doubt, we're gonna hear from people who want it for their church or synagogue or mosque. And the effect it has, which is really, we had no idea that this was gonna be true, is that they open up space in faith communities to talk about gun violence and to seek ways to end gun violence. So what we hear all the time, two people that were sitting on the same pew, down the pew from each other, had no idea that they felt the same way about gun violence. But the memorial goes up on the front lawn. And by the way, the memorial is not controversial. It doesn't take a political position. It doesn't accuse anyone of anything. So it's, we've only been turned down and we've done about 250 uh, installations, we've only been turned down once in, in a uh, decade. Churches are willing to put it up. When they put it up, then we provide uh, templates of, of inspiring activities, prayers, uh, songs. Um, we, we do programming in each of the churches or synagogues or mosques. And by doing so, we bring people into the effort to end gun violence. And what happens is, like in Lansdale, 10 days ago, is we get a number of churches or synagogue, I'll call it, say churches for short, who work together on the program ahead of time. And when it's presented, we then have people from, as this one did, 12 different churches, 275 people. And at the end of the program, which is about an hour and a half to two hours, gun violence awareness day program, then we invite people into a fellowship hall or, or a sanctuary where we have packets of letters 
that have been printed up that deal with specific legislation having to do with gun violence, gun issues, and, and give them the opportunity, if they want to, to sign those letters and put their contact information on them. And then we take those back because if we've got a, people from a different, different towns and so on, they don't know, many of them don't know who their legislators are. So we use the information that they put on the contact information, we take them back, then we use volunteers to tear them apart, to separate them out, and we then, uh, then get them to the legislators. So this has worked very well for us. And we are, we started when just in Philadelphia, we are now in so many counties across Pennsylvania. We're one of two statewide gun violence prevention groups. The other one is secular and we're faith-based. And we believe in fact that that, that sum is greater, that it's greater than the sum of its parts. We work with the secular group on most issues. We don't agree on everything. But, uh, but we are very happy that uh, the, the, the state house uh, just passed a, a, uh, an extreme risk protection order, which is one of our, uh, our important things. But my main message is to, to achieve legislation that is meaningful legislation takes two things, time and commitment. People talk, ask me all the time about legislation and say, well, this just makes so much sense. Absolutely. But that's not the way it works. The way it works is people working together over time, not giving up. I think Mary Beth just said that, not giving up, working together over time to bring about change. And that's the sort of thing that we want us to encourage everywhere through and through the faith community. And my last message is, if you look at American history, the faith community has led virtually every national social movement for change, except for gun violence. It's relatively absent in this, this uh, movement, if you will. And what our goal is, along with doing all this outreach and working with all these different faith communities and regional bodies, is to be a spark to the American faith community so that it will take up this issue take its rightful position of leadership in making this country a safe place. So I appreciate the opportunity. I look forward to the questions and, and so on. And thanks so much, Eric. Thank you so much, Brian, for that information. And we hope that everybody connects with Brian and with Giffords Gun Safety because they have are going to help us just be advocates in the local church. Here also to continue the conversation is Patty Brigham. Patty Brigham. Um, we're going to have you show your video on you, and we thank you so much for joining us today. Um, she is the president of Prevent Gun Violence Florida, and she also founded the Florida Coalition to Prevent Gun Violence. Patty, thank you for your time, and we look forward to hearing from you. The floor is yours. Thank you, Reverend Lopez, so much. And I also want to thank all of you for being here today and Tina Coleman for your amazing organization and commitment to this issue. Uh, I'm Patty Brigham and uh, Prevent Gun Violence Florida is a relatively new uh, nonprofit organization. We started up in 2021 in August and that was after I uh, basically termed out as president of the League of Women Voters of Florida. And while I was at the League, we formed the Florida Coalition to Prevent Gun Violence, which was comprised of about 100 organizations around the state and some nationally 
to, to do just that. And I'm going to share my screen to just give you a little bit of background. And then I want to give you the, uh, the kind of the lay of the land in Florida, which is um, challenging to say the least, but the importance of a group like this getting involved in gun violence prevention cannot be stressed enough. Uh, here we have, uh, this is our, our website, the front page of our website, and this goes to what Dr. Austin was saying. Prevent gun violence. Preventing gun violence is, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, is not a Second Amendment issue. It is a public safety issue. I can't stress that enough. Uh, you know, you talk to doctors who have operated on victims who have been uh, of gun violence, particularly those shot with these semi-automatic weapons. And those doctors will tell you that this is a public health crisis right now. It truly is. And so we hope to expand the reach of what we're doing by getting more people involved from all walks of life and not just gun violence prevention organizations. Now, that being said, I would like to kind of give you the lay of the land in Florida. So um, those of you on this call who are not necessarily following what's happening in Tallahassee with uh, gun legislation, will know uh, just what the story is. And let me get this to start, okay. All right, so firearms in Florida. Uh, right now, uh, we have gun crimes on the rise. Uh, during the previous uh, gubernatorial administration, uh, the Rick Scott administration, gun violence was actually not as high as it is now. Unfortunately, since Governor DeSantis took over, we've seen a massive surge in gun-related violence, and you can see the numbers right here on the PowerPoint. Uh, you know, in just one year, violent incidents involving guns rose significantly, firearm-related homicides, manslaughter, and as of 2020, guns most often most often the common weapon used in aggravated assaults. And this is the first time that's happened since this collection of data began in 1995. And we got this data from the Center for American Progress. So, you know, we're very concerned about this landscape. And instead of making this landscape safer, unfortunately, and these are the current gun laws that are the most significant ones we have on the books right now. Fortunately, the legislature kept in place that you have to be 21 to buy a gun because there was a push to to lower that back to 18, but it's 21. And uh, we have a red flag law, bump stock ban, safe storage, which needs to be strengthened. We do have concealed carry in Florida. Unfortunately, uh, this past session, which ended in May of this year, uh, permitless carry passed. That is despite the fact that a very large coalition was built to fight permitless carry by many organizations in the gun violence prevention space, as well as some groups like the American Academy of Pediatrics. Uh, permitless carry, let me just tell you what that is. It means that, well, first of all, this is now legal in 26 states in the nation. And states where permitless carry uh, became legal experienced a significant increase in gun homicides for the three years after that laws has been on the books. And so it's more than doubled uh, the violent crime with guns as a result. So what is it? Well, it, it is what it says, no permit required. What is this current status? This law takes effect July the 1st. Excuse uh, the me one second, Patty. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to interrupt you, Patty. But we have a couple of people who are sharing that they can't see what you're trying to share on your screen, that you, they can only see your first page. Really? Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you, let me see why that is. Switch the slide. Sometimes it gets stuck. So what I would do is unshare your screen and then reshare it again. I'm just trying to 
get to the stop share. And for some reason, I'm not able to get my cursor up there. I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, 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 not at all. I'm just trying to get my cursor to stop share and it's not allowing me to do it. Yeah, I can help you right now. Okay, okay try, thank you. You're welcome. Okay, try sharing so, again. yeah, let me start to share again. And okay, I hope this will fix it. Can you all see the slideshow now? Yes, perfect. Now it works. Okay, wonderful. Sorry about that. And thank you for letting me know, Reverend Lopez. Uh, so permitless carry, well, first of all, uh, this law goes into effect the 1st of July. That means that you will not have to have a concealed carry permit on you to carry a concealed handgun. That's a problem. Why? Well, currently about 2.6 to 2.7 million Floridians are concealed permit holders. And so they're walking around carrying their, their handguns. And in order to do that, you have to apply for a permit at the Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services. Part of that application process, you must take a uh, training class that shows you have basic firearm proficiency. And then you must have a background check. And that background check for that permit is significant because when you buy a gun and you buy from a federally licensed dealers, like say at one of these gun stores, they run a background check on you. But when you get a permit, the background check is even more rigorous. They actually take your fingerprints. That will go away. That's a problem because not everybody that owns a gun buys from a federally licensed dealer. There is a buyer loophole, a seller loophole. You buy from a private dealer at one of these gun shows, private dealer online, no background check. So what does that mean? You're going to have people walking around carrying concealed weapons who have no business doing so. They may have a criminal background. They may be troubled and they shouldn't have a gun. So uh, this uh, will increase the gun crime that's already on the increase in our state. It's a very troubling situation. And it's something that we have to continue to raise public awareness about. Because one of the things that we found in going out and speaking to people is that many people do not know what's going on in our legislature. And it's so important that we find new ways to educate the public about what is happening. So there are many things that you can do to get involved in this work. Uh, you don't have to go out and speak publicly. You can advocate by reaching out to your lawmakers. And let me tell you, I really recommend that all of you do that in the district when they're not in Tallahassee. Reach out, introduce yourself to your local representative and senator and uh, express your concerns to them. Remember, they work for you, the voter. Uh, local community involvement is critical. Uh, this issue is becoming a very local issue. And our organization, Prevent Gun Violence Florida, we are state-based group. We don't have a national affiliate. It doesn't mean to say that we don't work on a national level. We sure do uh, when we built that coalition to stop permitless carry. But we believe that we need a true state-based group focusing totally on what is happening with policy in Florida. And that is what we do. We're very involved in the legislative process. So we do advocate in Tallahassee. We have a very intersectional board. We have a Quality Florida on the board, the Florida PTA, Ban Assault Weapons Now. Uh, these groups, by the way, particularly the groups I just mentioned, Equality Florida and the PTA, 
If I know you all are aware of the attacks on our gay community, our LGBTQ plus community in Florida, with those very uh, hateful bills that were passed into law. At the same time, this legislature has passed into law permitless carry. So what is happening? The threats against the gay community are going up and the government has placed a target on their back. And at the same time, our legislature thought it was a good idea to loosen gun restrictions, which is completely reckless. So we must continue to reach out and involve other allies in this fight, not just gun violence prevention organizations, educators, healthcare practitioners from all walks of life. And then we've got to continue to educate, uh, truly believe that education is the key to uh, unlocking this issue when it comes to movement, because right now it's going to be very difficult to move the wheel in Florida. It's just the, the truth. We've got a supermajority of one party in the legislature, in the cabinet, and in the judiciary. So, you know, the uh, government is not on our side when it comes to gun safety measures in the state of Florida. That means we have to find out ways to uh, get creative at the local level. Uh, you know, that's critical. Uh, we can't just rely on the usual leaders anymore because they're working for the gun lobby and not the people of Florida. So we're in a radicalized society now in the state of Florida. It's an extremist state now. It's not just a red state. It's an extremist state. And so with that being said, I'm hearing from people who are saying, well, why are you bothering to focus on Florida? Why don't you just give up? You know, the show is over here. Well, no, no, it's not. Uh, we cannot give up when it's the most extreme. You don't give up then. You've got to keep fighting. You've got to keep lifting your voice, even if it's just educating, which is, there's no really just before that. It's key. We've got to keep the fight up. We've got to keep our voices raised because it's not always going to be this way. It's truly not a good place we're in right now, but that means we have to work all the harder. And it's going to take many, many voices. And I truly believe, and I've worked on this issue for 10 years. I know some of you have for much longer, and I'm a volunteer like most of you here. Um, we do need the faith community in this fight. I believe that you all have the moral voice and authority to speak to this issue, whereas uh, many of us are activists and we have our feelings about it for various reasons, you know, some surviving families, some survivors, but the faith community is very different. You, your voice carries a different kind of weight. And I think your voice in this fight to prevent more needless gun violence is critical. So I have put our um, a link to our website in the chat, and I hope you will uh, click on the link. If you want to sign up for our action alerts, we put action alerts out when bad gun bills are moving, when good gun bills are moving. We have a newsletter, but if you sign up, it's no charge to do so. You, you'll get that material sent to you via an email. So I don't want to go over time, but I'm happy to answer your questions at the end. And thank you so much for having me here today. Thank you, Patty, for that great information and for that reminder that we need the faith community in this fight. Here to talk about that is Susan Gill. Susan Gill is a lay leader in St. Paul's United Methodist Church in Tallahassee, and she's also a volunteer for Moms Demand Action to help prevent gun violence. 
And so here to talk about her experience is Susan. Susan, thank you so much for being here today and we look forward to hearing from you. Thank you, Erwin. Um, I, I feel like I'm not nearly as experienced as the other people who've gone here to get today, but um, I um, got started with Moms Demand Action after I heard maybe your daughter, uh, Marcy, came up to Tallahassee after the Parkland shooting and we had a prayer vigil here in town and I went to it and saw those, those young people so supporting each other and so strong and so sad about the loss of their classmates. And I thought, I, I have to do something to help these, these young people prevent this. I've, I've been in um, uh, active shooter drills with young, with kindergartners, and it was a terrible thing to have to go through with young children. And I hate the fact that we're making every child go through that now as they're in, when they're in school. Um, so I reached out and found that there is a Moms Demand Action group here in Tallahassee and um, several, several people from other faith traditions were in it already. And I, I was uh, glad to get to know, kind of expand my base of people that I knew and uh, got, gained information about uh, things to policy, uh, the, the, the policies that have already been described about the, the laws that needed to be passed. And these young people helped, helped pass the red flag law that Rick Scott signed and uh, the uh, raising the age to 21, which this past uh, legislative session, they tried to reduce, but we were sitting in the in the gallery, letting them know that we're still uh, wanting de demanding action to keep us safe. And uh, they decided against that. So we were thankful for that. Um, I found Moms Demand, there's Moms Demand Action Groups. One of the things I like about it the most is that it's very grassroots. It's just people in, in different areas. There's, uh, if you go to the momsdemandaction.org, the website, there and click on what state you're in and what events. This particular weekend is the, I put my shirt up, is the end gun violence, wear orange. Uh, there'll be events all over the state of Florida um, to just we wear orange because of a girl that was killed after she had played in the band at, at Barack Obama's second inauguration. Um, and she went home to Chicago and so one of her friends said, how can we avoid being shot? And they said, wear orange. So we we wear orange to help just as a reminder to people to end gun violence. And that'll be happening this weekend. So if you're interested in finding out something in your area, I looked it up yesterday. There's things in Gainesville and Jacksonville and Miami and Orlando. There's gonna be events sometimes mixed with the pride event uh, because Moms Demand Action have been known to give out hugs at pride events as well. Um, so, that's one of the important things that can be done in the faith community. It's an easy place to start. The other thing that I feel like is so important that Moms Demand Action offers is the Be Smart uh, Safety Program. And if you go to uh, besmartforkids.org, um, all the information that Marcy was talking about earlier about how to talk to friends about being safe, safe gun ownership uh, and, and safe storage, and asking, they give you scenarios. Uh, there's a whole video uh, clip there about things you can say to ask people about safe storage for children uh, to be around kids. So I would, I would suggest going to that website if you're uh, looking for more information and you want to share it maybe with young people in your churches or with parents. Um, this is a great 
uh, if you want to do some kind of parent uh, or we, we've done a parent university in the MOPS group at the church that I serve. And I did a whole uh, orientation to the parent, to the moms about safe storage. And I was amazed how many of them with young children didn't realize that you have to depend on the adults to be safe. It's not uh, not something even no, no matter how well your child is trained, you never depend that they're the one that's going to keep the keep themselves safe from the firearms that are in your home. So um, I appreciate all those that have already talked about that. But this Be Smart program is uh, to re uh, emphasize securing the firearms, modeling responsible behavior, ask other people about unsecured guns in the home, recognize the role of guns in suicide. That, that's it's a very common thing as uh, the other speaker was telling about. And tell your peers to be smart. And that uh, besmartforkids.org is a great uh, resource. So I encourage all those in the different churches that you're at, we all have access to children, we hope, and uh, we want them to be around for a long time. So that's uh, the area that we uh, that I've just chosen to, to emphasize in, uh, in my time. When, because I'm in Tallahassee, I've been able to do some influencing in the legislature to just wearing this red shirt around, get some attention. And uh, we, uh, we lobby, we sit in uh, hearing rooms and sit in, I've sat in the gallery in the House and the Senate and just let them know that we're encouraging them to do what's right and what's safe for our children. And I encourage everyone to get to know that who your legislator is and who your representatives are in Congress, uh, as well as uh, Scott and Rubio, and uh, we can contact them and let them know, because if we if we don't, we just roll over. We can't roll over and play dead. We're just gonna we're gonna continue continue the work even when it's hard. So thank you very much. If I can answer any questions about it's just easy to get or how to get involved um, with this group, I'd be glad to do that. Great. Thank you so much, Susan, okay. for your work, and thank you for being such a great leader in the United Methodist Church. We are proud of you and we're proud that you are serving in our denomination and especially here in Florida. I wanna engage in some dialogue and, and in some Q and A. And we have a question from Miranda and she asks, are we speaking of all guns, including assault weapons or primarily handguns? So any, anybody go, um, go ahead and chime in here. Go ahead, Patty. I can take that or at least part of it. <clears throat> there has been a push for a ban on semi-automatic assault weapons and high capacity magazines. That has been the focus uh, certainly for our organization since the Pulse mass shooting in 2016. Certainly we're talking about handguns as well uh, because they're going to be most affected by the permitless carry law which takes place uh, takes effect next month because those are the types of weapons that you can carry concealed. It would be pretty hard to carry like an AR-15 concealed. But so we're focused on both. We're concerned about per no permitting regarding the carrying of handguns. And we're concerned about the access, the incredibly easy access to these high capacity magazines and assault rifles. They are weapons of war. They are really not made for civilian use. Uh, they were banned once in this country. We didn't have the kind of mass shootings that we have now since that ban went away. It needs, they need to be banned again. It's been too long. And as you see, 
every single weekend in America, there's a mass shooting. Some weekends, there are three or four mass shootings. It's really absurd what's going on. And, and you know, it's not, and I agree with, uh, I, I think it's Dr. Austin who was talking at the outcome, out, uh, the beginning of this call. It's not an anti-gun thing, but there are certain types of weapons that are really dangerous and they're only made to do one thing and that is kill. And that is what these assault rifles do. They're not made for hunting. They're made to kill human beings and they need to be banned. And we are advocating for that and we will continue to advocate for that. Thank you, Patty. Hopefully that answered that person's question. Um, I have a question that I've been thinking about, especially, Patty, when you shared that we need to find new ways to educate people. I had the pleasure of working with a pastor. His name was Robert Johnson, and we were talking about race. And he shared with us that he believes that a lot of the language that we use to educate people has been politicized. So any time that we want to have a program or have a Bible study and we use words like gun violence or we use words like race, People automatically connect that with a, a political party. And so when it comes to finding new strategies to educate people, do you have any advice for pastors, especially in terms of engaging people who need to be there, who wouldn't be there because of the language that we use? Do you have any advice for us? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Uh, I think that the clergy are in the unique position that they don't have to, um, I mean, I think it's important that we're all up to speed on what's happening uh, with policy in our communities, in our state. But I think that clergy is in the unique uh, position to speak to the moral issue here. This is a moral issue when you're arming the public and at the same time attacking vulnerable groups, when you're arming the public and kids are being shot at school when this is continuing to go on, and yes, it's very political. I agree, it's become politicized. This should not be a political issue. It shouldn't be a partisan issue. It's a public safety issue, but it has become political because you've got a major organization, the NRA, who lobbies, and they're very successful at getting their way. And that really needs to stop. We need to stop start appealing to the human sense of morality when it comes to this issue. And I do think clergy is in a better position to do that than just your quote unquote everyday activist. Also, I was gonna just say also to add to it, I, I think a very good place to start is talking about, you know, wanting to help children, wanting to help those that are, you know, that are feeling depressed or like, you know, like I was talking about earlier, those that are at high risk for suicide and just, you know, safe storage is a really, really good place to kind of start that conversation with because you're not talking about taking anything away from anybody. You're not talking about any bans yet. You're just talking about, okay, you, you are a gun owner and I understand that and I appreciate that. But, you know, as a gun owner, you could be responsible and try to help save lives by, keeping your gun away from your child, keeping it away from people, you know, keeping it locked up so it can't get stolen from your car. Like those, those types of issues, as opposed to saying you can't do this and you can't do that. Talk about what they can do to help the community and their families. Yeah. And, and, 
And, and teeing up off, off that point, Stacy, I often say to people, uh, I try to avoid getting in like phrasing it in guns all around. I think that's what um, Reverend Lopez was saying. You hear gun and it, they initially just tune you right out. But when we get right into the whole gun thing, I say, well, if you're, you know, obviously you passed a background check, you are a responsible gun owner. So we probably have so much common ground. You're already doing most of what we do, what we do to keep each other safe. So when it's, it's teed up as a gun issue, I, I really focus on you're already a responsible gun owner. I'm sure you're not going to have a problem with safe storage or background checks. And then uh, just for a general, like, how do you raise it in the first place? I, I like, I've seen a lot of people raise it almost as a cultural phenomenon. Like we used to ride when I was a child, I used to ride around with six kids in the back of my mom's station wagon until seatbelts became a thing. And, you know, drinking and driving, that was a thing when we were in high school and college. Teens don't do that anymore. Um, tobacco, that used to be a rite of passage. Kids aren't smoking the way they used to. Um, this is something that falls along that same arc. Um, yes, we have guns. They're there for shooting and hunting and sports and all that stuff and sometimes necessary protection, but not for the guns everywhere uh, without restriction world that we've created. So we have to make it safe again, just like seatbelts. It's going to happen. It's just a matter of time. Brian, I see your hand up there. Um, you want to share anything? Yeah, thanks. I appreciate that. Um, I think in just a discussion that you raised just uh, closely recently, it's, there are a couple of examples of how you can talk about things. And I, um, I, I agree with the Patty absolutely about assault weapons. My brother was killed with one, and, and they're weapons of war. But if you use the word ban, it automatically ignites some folks. So in fact, we use the word, let's prohibit the sale and transfer. It's a word that people aren't as used to. And as a matter of fact, we often get a puzzled look at that point, like when a dog tilts his head. Well, if you can get them uh, head tilted, then you can talk to them and that's worthwhile. <laughs> and I also think it's in our approach, we don't lead with talking about guns. We talk about people lost, people taken by gun violence. We don't, Talk about gun violence, yes, to people lost, people taken. And we avoid talking about specific policies until we have a lot of association and a lot of conversations with faith communities. And in a faith community, you can talk about your brother's keeper, about what Jesus has said about taking uh, you know, your neighbor and your, as yourself and so on and so forth all of which lead to a discussion then of safety and people's working together to do stuff. So I think actually in the faith world, there's a, there are easy ways to talk about, the, about this problem and talk about this solution. I appreciate all your responses, Mary Beth and Stacy and Brian and Patty, thank you so much. We have a couple of questions from folks in the audience. Um, one question is, does the Florida Conference, this may be a good question for Dr. Austin, does the Florida Conference recommend our local churches post signs that read, no guns allowed? And we have another question that is similar. Let me see. Does the, um, where is it? Where is it? For our churches, is posting signs prohibiting firearms 
based supported by specific state legislation or local ordinances. Anybody can jump in here and answer that question if they like. Um, I've certainly seen signs on church buildings that said no firearms allowed. I really can't answer that in a blanket way, though. I, I'm not sure if that is a municipal uh, ordinance that they can use, but, you know, it's pretty tricky in Florida because of the preemption laws that we have here. Municipalities are really tied, their hands are tied because Florida's preemption laws are very punitive. If a municipality, say for example, would try to ban concealed carry in a public park, the state would come in, make that ordinance null and void. The lawmakers who vote for it would be fined $5,000 or more and removed from office. So those are the kinds of challenges that local governments are dealing with. And so I would advise you to, um, to talk with uh, your local city council or city commissioner about what the rules are about that in your area. Uh, you, the rules for care, uh, posting that are up to an individual. If it is a private place or a place that... Uh, like a restaurant or a theater or something, the owners can post that sign and uh, they can enforce it. However, they must be posted in plain view. My name is Sam. I am a member of the uh, criminal justice community. I have worked in criminal justice for over 50 years. I carry a gun every day of my, of my life during that 50 years. When I leave the house today, I will have my sidearm with me. I have been shot. So I have a very unique perspective on carrying sidearms. One of the things that we need to look at, and I'm surprised no one has said it, we need to start loving each other. We need to start, the, the guns need to be controlled. But the guns aren't doing the killing. It's the people that are doing the killing. And our people, we, we've become so hard against each other. We don't love each other anymore. Take a look at all of these school, school shooters and you will see something in their background where they don't feel love, they don't love people. Take a look, you will see it. Um, gun safety, I keep my guns locked up. But I do know this, I have seven kids. None of them have ever been involved in messing with my guns. You know why? Children are curious. And at a certain age, you need to let them see it. I tell my children, you want to see my gun? Ask me and I'll show it to you. Why? Because I, it's, it's control then. Sam I, wanna, I wanna, Sam, I want to thank you so much for your response. I want to make sure that I get to some of the questions from the folks okay. here. If you have a All question, right. I'd encourage you to put it in the chat. So I want to make sure that we get. Um, I got to go. Time. All right. Thank you, Sam. Thank I got to go. I got to go for it. <laughs> All right. Thank you for your feedback. Well, I want to make sure we get to some of these other questions. Um, uh, unless, Sharon, you wanted to share something? Go ahead. Yes. Thank you so much, Erwin. Uh, uh, and this is not a surprise uh, question. 
uh, earlier, and so maybe before some of the folks uh, who are asking questions now joined, I read just an excerpt from the United Methodist Book of Resolutions uh, 2016 and what it says insofar as guns on church property. Uh, the statement is um, more robust, so it is much longer than what I read. Uh, and I think that's helpful because it reminds us that there is a context in which to have these conversations. And several of you have pointed uh, to that. Uh, let me just read uh, the lead sentence uh, and then what I'll say next is one of the points uh, below. Um, as followers of Jesus called to live into the reality of God's dream of Shalom as described by Micah, we must address the epidemic of gun violence so that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in God's paths. Therefore, we call upon United Methodists to prayerfully address gun violence in their local context. Some of the ways in which to prevent gun violence include the following. And then there is a list which includes everything from being in conversation, working in partnership with law enforcement, or congregations that have not experienced gun violence to work in tandem with maybe congregations where gun violence has been the case um, to assist those who have been uh, affected by gun violence through prayer, pastoral care, creating space, all of that, the things that make sense. And then it says this, for United Methodist congregations to display signs that prohibit carrying guns onto church property. So there's that word prohibit that Brian mentioned earlier. Uh, and so I would say that if a church does that, they are certainly standing on firm ground insofar as uh, the um, United Methodist Church and the way in which our general conference speaks through uh, the adoption of these uh, resolutions. Um, you know, there we don't have a um, gun prohibition, you know, United Methodist police. So no one is driving around to churches to see if you have a sign posted. But if you post a sign, then, you know, you are certainly in keeping with uh, the message from our church. And uh, to the point made earlier, these um, decisions are always um, best when they occur in the context of prayer and conversation in the congregation where that statement is being made. I appreciate your response, Dr. Austin. Thank mm -hmm. you so much. Sure. We have another question here, and I just want to remind everybody that we're going to be going on today until about 2.30. We'll end right at 2.30. So we've got about 17 more minutes of discussion. Um, but we have a question from Ed Darling. Is it possible that just the money from the NRA and the gun lobby is preventing sensible and popular violence prevention legislation, or is it also part of a right-wing agenda to empower bullies and unsettle our society? See if somebody wants to discuss that question. I can take that. If anyone else wants to take it, that's fine. I don't want to dominate the conversation, but I will say that the NRA has been a very, uh, they're very effective at marketing. They are very good at creating fear uh, when there's no need to be fearful. Uh, they have been campaigning for more women to be gun carriers uh, by making them afraid. 
And uh, we know that people are afraid, but one way to make them more afraid is to have an armed society. And I have to say that um, I don't agree with the speaker who was saying it's not the guns that are doing this damage, it's the people. The guns are enabling that damage to be done. If these this society wasn't awash in firearms, we wouldn't have these shootings. It's just as simple as that. And as far as not talking about guns, I think we have to talk about guns because every time you see one of these shootings covered on television, news, cable, TV, what are they talking about? They're talking about solutions and they mention everything except the gun. It's mental health, it's education, it's parental responsibility, but you never hear about gun control. And I think that we have to continue to talk about that because that is what's so necessary. And so back to the NRA, the NRA has been very effective. And the best way to call out the NRA is to call out the lawmakers who are accepting money from them because they are culpable. Thank you, Patty. Anybody else want to add a little bit to that? I guess I would just add that, you know, when we talk about money in the NRA, the NRA and the National Shooting Sports Foundation, which if you can believe this is, is even to the right of the NRA, they are controlled by uh, the gun manufacturers. And it's it's all about business. They They, you know, more guns is more business. And how do you drum up the business by, as, as Patty said, promoting fear. Um, we, we never, I mean, the NRA used to be like 4-H for gun owners. You know, they, they, they were really dedicated to the American sportsmen. But as we became more industrial and less agrarian, um, you know, people didn't really need guns for hunting. And, and you know, the marketing strategy became uh, you need a gun to stay safe. And if you're going to be safe, you got to be safe from something. So, you know, there's all kinds of boogeymen out there that the, um, the the gun manufacturers have worked hand in hand with the NRA to 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 make us afraid of. Um, I don't know. I think it's all money, but what it's done has been terrible. It's all it's it's a business model that has just uh, crippled our society, crippled this particular country. You know, we have mental health issues and depression and spousal abuse and teenage angst in every country in the world, but we're the only country in the world with this problem. So it is the guns. So I agree it's the guns and I agree the NRA is a problem, a big problem, but I think it's a mistake to just assume that they're the problem, the problem, and that they're creating a situation that we can't move past. If we can build enough support in, in, a, in a legislative district, then a legislator, either he will come to our side or he'll be voted out. So the important thing is rather than, to my mind, rather than attributing blame to, to an organization like the NRA, let's work on what we, on positive stuff. Let's work on changing, changing things. And that's something that the faith community can do in my opinion, better than the secular world because of our experience of working together with other people of faith. And we have the power of faith that the secular world does not. That there, And that's why in national social movements in the past, the faith community has led and made things happen. 
And it's the sort of thing that and I view, that we view at Heeding God's Call. This is our opportunity. This is our opportunity to, to take the leadership and to make things happen so that we're a safer country. I have a question to add though, to, to that. So it, like you're saying, voting in the right people, right, will help us to end the scum problem. But how do you then go ahead and relate that in the church, right? Because you need to stay away from politics as much as possible. And when you start, um, when you have to start talking about your vote is going to be what will change that. How, how can you do that in, you know, in a religious establishment without getting too political? No, we are. Can I address that? As 501c3 organizations, we are, you are, churches, limited to what we can do. And it means that we can't take partisan positions. However, we can educate people about where people stand. And we do it, Heating God's Call. We've done voter guides. We don't take a position in the voter guides, but we show where candidates stand on specific legislation. And then um, the people, the voters can make their own decision. And it's important to educate the public in that, that way, we believe. And we also feel that by emphasizing do individual response, uh, religious responsibilities and so on, that people come to conclusions about what's important, what candidates, and, and want to know what candidates feel about issues. We don't say vote for somebody or another, we don't, but we do provide enough information in a nonpartisan way that people can make their own choice. May I have a comment? Jim, can you um, please share your comment in the chat box? We want to make sure that okay. we have time with our speakers and write your comment and then we'll address it. So I know oh, okay. Dr. Austin wants okay. to chime in here. Um, go ahead, Dr. Austin. I just uh, wanted to say very quickly, and this is to Brian's point. Earlier today, I already mentioned that we had uh, a workshop on the social principles. The social principles, the positions of the United Methodist Church uh, as expressed through our uh, Justice Agency, which is the General Board of Church and Society, speak to gun violence because they speak to violence. And so uh, to the point that was made, we don't have to uh, advocate for individuals, that is with respect to the vote uh, on these positions. But if we teach people that this is who the church is, our theological position, this is our understanding of scripture, then the principles follow uh, along with that. And that helps people to understand um, that the positions that uh, really knit us together in a faith community are principles that may be very different from the conversation they're having uh, about politics alone. Thank you, Dr. Austin, for saying it much better than I tried to. No, no, you said that's fine. I'm just uh, partnering with you in that, Brian. Thank you so much, guys. I appreciate that. We have another question here about ghost guns. The question is, do mm. panelists have positions about ghost guns, which are untraceable and can be printed using 3D printer? Mm. Can we get ahead of that issue as a state? Those are extremely dangerous and very alarming. Uh, you know, you 
you've got these kits. People can actually, uh, there are kits where you can make an assault rifle. Uh, there are ghost guns, there are 3D guns, there are all sorts of ways that uh, people who want to carry weapons for no good reason are getting around the uh, background check piece. And uh, that is very hard to get a handle on. And that is something I truly believe we're going to need federal assistance with. Yeah. And I believe that there's a bill, a federal bill, that's in the process of trying to get Paul to a vote <laughs> and um, something that the ATF and the new ATF director is working hard on as well because they are very dangerous. Ryan, go ahead. Yeah, yeah I just want to uh, bring up a point uh, about that. Um, in my experience, the most important work in gun violence prevention is done on the state level that the guys and gals in Washington do not get work on something meaningfully other than talk until there's momentum that is built up out in the states. If you look at history, American history, things don't change in Washington unless there's some massive catastrophe like a Katrina. And even that didn't create a major change. Or it starts in one state, it goes to another state, it goes to another state, and then folks wake up in Washington, legislators wake up in Washington, and they begin to act. So I urge people all the time, focus on what's going on in your state, and that's where you can really have an effect. Great, thank you. We have only about six more minutes on the call, and I wanted to ask one final question uh, as a call to action. So we have a lot of pastors, a lot of laity here in the call. Let's talk about next steps. If you were a pastor, if you were a, a lay member of the church, what would you do next? What word of encouragement would you have for us? What next step can we take? Um, well, I'll go first again. Um, I would say that the most important thing that we can do right now to uh, try to address this issue is vote. Uh, the voting, your voting rights are so precious. They're under attack, by the way, in the state of Florida and in other states. But you have the power of the vote and no one should be able to ever take that away from you. Uh, so voting is your way to make a difference in who passes these laws and what laws are going to be passed or repealed. That is your power. And I urge you to encourage all of your parishioners to use the power of the vote. I don't think it would be out of line because you're not telling them who to vote for. It would just be, this is a precious right as an American citizen and we encourage you to use it. And we have strong advocacy around that. I just wanted to jump in and say that. So that is actually um, significant work that we have done, continue doing. We've taken ads out in major uh, newspapers uh, and uh, we'll, we'll continue to, to sound the trumpet on voting. So. Okay, well, I got a chance. Um, I'm going to selfishly say and I mean it because I say it because I mean it and I think it works. I think your next step is to get a memorial to the lost on your front, front lawn of your church. You'll be amazed at the effect it has, the attention it gains, and the, it gets people talking, gets people understanding 
that they feel strongly about this issue and other people do as well. And again, it's about the power of faith. If, if I can give a plug to Brian and Heeding God's Call, um, when I lived in Pennsylvania, I um, actually helped assemble a, a number of those um, in Delaware County and Chester County. There's nothing like having a group of people meet on an early Saturday morning. And when you put those stakes together to hang the t-shirts, they look like a crucifix. And then you hang the t-shirt on there. And it is, um, it is really sobering. And uh, the number of people who stop, um, even before you got the banner up, you put the t-shirts up and then you put the banner up, you know, announcing that it's the memorial people driving by, um, stopping, asking what you're doing. And they say, oh, I remember when this young boy was lost. I remember that name. Um, it is, it's a really powerful, powerful, um, easy, easy way to get the conversation started. So I don't know if Brian, you thought of that, but. No, it's, it's true. Wonderful. It's, I, I always liked you, Mary Beth. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would also encourage churches who are doing training for protection of children to add a piece of protection for uh, um, for safe storage of guns in their homes. Mm -hmm. We know in, in Florida, even the United Methodist churches, there are lots of families who have, uh, have guns at home and, and extra education about being responsible gun owners is just like being responsible for the children at, at church is always a, something we can add in. Reminder. I appreciate that. One quick question somebody want to ask. Can you suggest other places we may place the shirts? Our church building is not visible to many at all. Somebody asked that. Yeah, we we have we put them up in public public parks, um, squares, so on and so forth. But uh, most of them have been on uh, the lawns or not just the lawns. We have ways of attaching them to the, to, uh, to structures and so on. Um, but everywhere they go, they create, Mary Beth is right. They create a sensation. And she's also right that the, the putting of them up is an amazing and inspiring experience. And we have templates, yeah. prayer circles to go with that and so on and so forth. It's a whole, it's not just a, a memorial. It's also programming. It's also music. It's also all, all of that. So it's a very much of a total experience, and it really is transforming. Thank you, Brian. Well, it's a, just about 2.30, and I want to thank everybody for coming to this very informative and very important call, and I hope that everybody gets involved in one form or another in their local church. I especially want to thank Dr. Austin um, for leading this conversation and for organizing all this. Christina Coleman, thank you so much for organizing all these speakers. Brian, thank you for coming. Mary Beth, Patty, Susan, and Stacy. And I was wondering, uh, Dr. Austin, if you can close us maybe with some closing remarks and, and, and a word of prayer. Mm. Well, thank you so much. Um, this would fall on uh, hollow ears and fallow ground if we didn't have the wonderful presenters that we had today. And if we didn't believe first and last that uh, the United Methodist Church is a place uh, that believes in uh, personal holiness and social holiness, 
Uh, so all holiness is social. Uh, and if we have a relationship with our God, but have total disregard and no relationship with our neighbors, uh, then, uh, you know, uh, we have fallen short of the, the mandate of love. And so this is another way we express love for our families, for our communities, the heartbreak that we have seen, the proliferation of uh, mass murders, uh, lives that have been snuffed out in an instant while people have gone about their daily lives uh, is uh, an unspeakable pain. And uh, internationally, it, it is um, uh, a major um, shortcoming that we can address in the United States. And I just find myself often wondering what other countries must be asking themselves uh, we are such champions for human rights in so many regards, and yet, and yet, we don't seem to be able uh, to address this in ways <clears throat> that create a safer environment for everyone. So maybe these and all of the things that we have heard today can be, um, you know, our prayer, uh, but also our commitment to action going forward.